You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled Creekside at Her Best, which is from the sermon series Vision 2020. For more info, please visit creekside.org. I want you, if you would, take your uh, Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When you think of church, there's so many different things that it is and probably isn't. And people define church in so many different ways. In Bible college, the preacher factory, when I first started, uh, I was... Uh, I went to church with my grandma and grandpa uh, in my early years until I was uh, about six or seven years old and then never went back until I was a junior in high school. And uh, maybe toward my end of my junior year. So I only had two years of church under my belt before I went to the preacher factory. And um, I wasn't you know, real spiritual because I didn't know how to act spiritual. And um, I didn't have all the Christianese lingo down. And so I was kind of like a fish out of water. But here's the truth. I love Jesus. And while everybody thought I was there to play basketball, uh, which really helped facilitate that, I really wanted to know and learn about Jesus. So here I am this, you know, my first year, and I'd go up to people because I didn't know anything about Eugene. I'd say, well, where do you go to church? And, you know, some of the... Uh, clowns, they go, oh, you know, we go to St. Mattress Cathedral on Sunday. And our pastor is Pastor Pillow. And then somebody else would say, you know, it's spring, we go to the Lakeside Church and we drop a line and, you know what, we just see what we can catch and we commune there with God. And it took me a little while to figure out what in the world they were talking about. What they were in essence saying is they went out and had fun and really didn't go to church. Was that church? Oh, well, don't answer that one. Okay, no, it's really not. Others would say, well, you know, I go to a coffee shop or we go out to lunch, a couple of us, and we just kind of hang out together and we might talk about God and, on Sunday. And that's kind of our church. Is that church? No, it's really not. Some would say, you know, really don't have a church. So what we do is we just download some great worship songs and, you know, and some good podcasts and we listen to them and that's our church. Is that church? Uh, not really. Now, in, in extreme cases, generally it could be. And I'm talking today about a vision for a church and it's and everything I've been kind of, it's kind of changing because I really wanted to go back and say, well, first of all, let's talk about what church is. Because everybody's got an idea, don't they? Well, you know, it says that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, well, if you read the context of that, context of that, it's really talking about discipline in the church. It isn't talking about church being the church. And we come to the book of Acts and we really begin to see what the church is all about and really the marks of what a church is. Because there's so many different churches, aren't there? Here's what a Christian is who is really a church person. And what I mean by that, you've always heard me say, this building is not the church, you are. If you know Jesus Christ and you've committed your life to him, then you are the church. But what does it mean to gather as the church? Because we don't want us to see today as just a service, but it's a gathering of the church unto Jesus. Well, as what it is, it's really in Acts chapter 1 and 2, you'll see that the church is simply this. It's people. They've repented of their sin. They've received the Holy Spirit of God. They believe in Jesus, and they demonstrate it through public baptism. Because they've come to understand that Jesus dies for our sin, Jesus rose again for sinners, Jesus ascends into heaven, and he brings us into relationship with him, and then in Acts chapter 2, he drops the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the power of God comes upon all of these people, and upsprings the birthing of the church, 
And like us, they became, when we come together, we come together as the people of God or the church. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament church. The church, listen, it belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. A lot of times people will say, they go, hey, PT, man, I just love going to your church. Or how's your church doing? I say, it's not my church. I have the privilege and the responsibility to shepherd it and to lead it and to guide it in the midst of all of my imperfections. But you're not my church. I love coming here. I love being a part of it, but it's not my church. It belongs to Jesus. So so we want to follow him. We want to obey him. We want to serve and love him and his church because Jesus loves and serves the church. And ultimately, Ephesians 5 says that we become the expression of his life as the church. Now, some think that the early church was only had these little small church meetings that met in homes, or they probably didn't have many large gatherings. So the thinking becomes, you know what, we should only meet in homes. Or we should only be a small church. Or we don't need leadership. You know, we don't need so many leaders. Or we don't need one leader. Or we don't need all that preaching. And then that kind of brings them to this idea. Because you know, the small church, the home church, that's the pure church. That's the true church. That's the real church. But it's not necessarily. Now, country of China it is because they have to meet in churches to kind of stay underground so that they don't, um, you know, become really seen and known by the government. There's other countries, I'm sure, that are the same way. Uh, There's a couple places in Africa that Open Bible has uh, missionaries that we can't even mention their name on the website or wherever else because they are simply seen as educators there that meet in homes and teach, but they ultimately bring the gospel into it. But see... Let's read Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Because here's where we're going to see what I believe to be really the foundation of the church. And if our vision doesn't include these things, then we're not really following what Jesus has for us as his church. So now Peter, the Holy Spirit has come upon the people in the upper room. And it says they've been filled with the Spirit at the first part. And then the first thing they do is they go out and they begin under the presence and power of God's Spirit that resides upon or or, or within each one of us. Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon. Now I know some of you look at this sermon and go, wow, that's pretty short. I wish PT would do that. Um, I understand that back in that day, they're probably scribing and taking notes and remembering and writing it down. Uh, It's not like it's word for word. Uh, Because in a couple of places here, it says, and Peter went on, and Peter went on. And uh, so it's not like they were real short either. So I've got to be very biblical. But they come, Peter preaches, and all of a sudden, 3,000 people come to the church. They're saved. And so by the time we get to what I'm going to read today, they now have 3,120 people in the church. We're talking about mass growth, quick growth. So pick it up at verse 41. It says, so those who accepted the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, they were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. Added to who? The 120 that were in the upper room. And notice what it says, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And then awe came over everyone. And signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were there together and everyone had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and their property and they distributed the proceeds to all as anyone might have need. And every day, see there's this consistency that every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. And they broke bread from house to house. So you see these two different places where they're meeting. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, which led to praising God and having favor favor with all the people. And every day the Lord 
added to those who were saved. And wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you love to experience that today? I see a lot of people think that the church should just be in homes or some people think it should just be in a big room, everyone gathering together like this. It's not either or, it's both and, according to the New Testament. See, we, we understand that when, when Luke here is writing about the temple court, when Jesus talked about the temple courts, whenever anybody else talked about the temple courts, you gotta think big, large area. That probably could have brought anyway, you know, at the Jewish feast at the Passover, what is being talked about here in this passage in Luke 2, it, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Acts 2, it's very possible there could have been 100,000, 200,000 people there, according to scholars. So we're talking about a mass gathering. And then you see Jesus, what did he do? It says that there were times where he would feed thousands. One day, one time it was he fed 5,000, 5,000 men. So if you add women and children, that could have been potentially upwards of 10 or 12,000. So you have these large gatherings, but there are also smaller gatherings that the church entered into. So when we talk about the New Testament church, we've got to be careful and understand that there are principles for our church, for Creekside Church, and then there are methods that we engage in because there are very different kinds of churches that developed from Acts chapter 2. This is the kind of, this is the foundation of what probably every church should be. And then from there, they begin to develop out of these principles, their methods. Now think about in the, Old Te- in, in the New Testament, you had the church in the book of Acts. These come from the book of Acts. The church of the Berean church. They kind of like be like Baptists today where they just honestly and intently came and they listened to the word. And then it says they went home and they checked it out to make sure that everything was correct. You don't hear about their worship. You don't hear about anything else. They just want to just give me the word. Uh, but then you go to the Antioch church and they kind of be like a Calvary chapel today that, you know, they kind of like open their doors and because of their focus on Jesus and the word and things that happen, they, they just kind of grow very quickly. Well, then you go to the Corinthian church great worship. Kind of like, it'd be like, it'd be like a combination of like elevation and uh, hill song and the vineyard for us today. If we just kind of wanted to put it, kind of bring it up to date. They, they were into the worship. They were into the, the emotion and the feeling. They were into spiritual gifts, which were all good. Now, I'm not saying this about those present day churches, But this church also had a lot of carnality, had a lot of division. It had a lot of problems, probably because it's so focused on emotional issues as opposed to living by the word. Then you've got the Ephesian church that was a fairly significant church in the New Testament. But it says that, man, Jesus speaks to them and he says, man, you are a great church. You do great deeds. You have some incredible orthodoxy. You teach and believe what is right, but here's the problem, your orthopraxy, the things that you moved into now, you just don't have love. You become a very clinical church. And I'm going to talk about those churches after the first of the year. But we see this church that started out this way and then ended up this way. And then the church of Jerusalem, probably by the middle of the book of Acts, probably numbered in the thousands. What's the point? You know, I simply want to have a vision for the church that Jesus would attend right here. Understanding that there are so many distinctives. See, the Bible here gives principles for all churches, but each church needs to figure out their methods for themselves. Does that make sense to you? The difference between principles of what the Bible says to do versus methods of what a church determines to do in their culture. See, the Bible says, preach the word. Well, you got people over here that say, you know what, you're not really preaching the word unless you're doing it expositorily, and you're going through this book and this book and this book, line upon line, precept upon precept. And yet there's other churches over here that do a lot of topical preaching that are doing well. They're reaching people for Christ, and they're doing great. Which one's right? What's the method of the church? The principle is preach the word. It doesn't say you have to be an expository preacher. If you study Jesus' preaching model, there wasn't a lot of exposition there. <laughs> it was tell a story and hear. And he would often refer to the Old Testament. 
Read Paul's writings. He would refer to the Old Testament, but it was an exposition where he would start talking out of the book of Deuteronomy in his letters to the church. The principle is preach the word. How you do it is between you and God and what God wants you to do. How about singing? The Bible says in Ephesians and throughout the Psalms, it says to sing hymns, sing psalms, sing spiritual songs, sing new songs. That's the principle. So the question is, is what are the songs? What kind of music? What kind of instrumentation? Well, it depends on your culture. It depends what nation. It depends what ethnicity you are. If you went to different churches here in our community, you would see a whole different style of worship in a number of churches. We have one church that doesn't use instruments. Are they right or wrong? Either. That's what they've chosen. They believe that they, you know, they don't see any instrumentation in the New Testament, so they don't really go there. It's all a cappella. Do I have any theological gripes with them? No. They love Jesus. They want people to be part of Jesus' kingdom, so we're going to lock arms with them. There's some people that they just want hymns. Just give me three hymns. Is that wrong? No. Some people want it rocking loud and just going crazy and all of that. Is that wrong? No. We've had people that come here uh, over the years, and they would just sit outside while the worship was going on. And then after it was done, they would come in. That's oh, too loud. It's not my kind of music. Okay, I get it. And I'm sure it happened too. They would come in for worship and rock on, and, and then they'd leave because they didn't like the word, the guy doing it. <coughs> Is there anything wrong with that? Well, not really. I would always say find a church where you can tie into both and enjoy both because both of them are such important expressions of the church. But see, that's what I want you to see is when we're talking about the church, uh, I want to note some principles today and then uh, today and then next week, we're going to talk about our church in the community and some of those things that we're going to do. And I'm going to share with you, here's a little tease. I'm going to share with you a word that the Lord gave me that really brought us to this season of really kind of reconfiguring a little bit in terms of our vision. Now, a lot of what I've talked about so far hasn't. It's just been reiterating the most important things that we've got to be doing as a church. But next week, I'm going to kind of give you a little insight into the shift from a word that the Lord gave me a couple of months ago that ties in to some of the, those changes, some of those methodologies. But here's the deal. I tell you all of this because, and, and I mean this with great love, but you got to find a church that, that, that you go, yes, this is where I believe God has me, but I also like it. You know, I hope, I mean, unless you're just kind of new here and you're kicking the tires, no problem. But if you've been here for a while, I hope you don't come dragging yourself in every Sunday. And, oh, God, here we go again. You know, because, because that's not a good way to come. It's not good for you. And it's not good for the people around you. So here's the deal. The principles that God lays out for us are critical. The methods are not sacred. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to say, talk to you a little bit about where we're going. I want you to notice the first thing. It says here that those who accepted the message, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, first thing that began to happen is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They begin to enter into discipleship. See, Jesus didn't come to make you more religious. He came to make you more alive and make you more alive with every dimension of his life. Again, let me be very pastoral in saying this. But if you come here on a Sunday morning and you say, I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to check in. I'm going to check it off the list. And you just come here and then you leave again and nothing changes in your life ever. And you just, and, and, and like, you know, Sunday's done. Whew. I'm going to go home and watch a game. And there's never a thought about what God wants to do in your heart, your soul, your life for the rest of the week. You're probably a pretty religious person. Okay? And, and I'm, not, I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to pick a fight with you. I'm just saying this is what I want to make sure that our church is moving toward, is we're always moving people closer into their relationship with Jesus so they're fully alive in him and they anticipate. Yeah. 
his life wherever they are and whenever they come here. See, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about us being these living sacrifices, that our acceptable way of worship is that we become like a sacrifice, that we just become consumed by who Jesus is, and and his life consumes us, and we give our life for him. And and the picture there is in the Old Testament, they would have these sacrifices. And then in uh, Psalm 118, toward the end of the chapter, it talks about sacrifices and how there were these horns on the altar. And this sacrifice would be on the altar. And they would take a rope and they would tie it down. So this is being consumed. It wouldn't just kind of slide off or fall anywhere. It would stay on the altar until it was consumed. It's interesting because isn't that, you know, we're to be a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is, don't you? It can get off the altar. And how many times have you and I, when the heat's on and everything is kind of going here and there, we just say, you know what, exit stage right off this altar. And I really, I don't know if I want to stay here. That's the problem with a living sacrifice. So I, I think that some of the things I want to talk to you about today can be like this tethering or this cord that will help you stay secure and tied down in the best way. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see some of these cords that will strengthen your life and will secure your life. See, I... <laughs> As, as a pastor, it's, uh, I don't know, the, the, any word I probably use sounds bad to you, but it gets very frustrating with people. And, and, and what I mean by that is, I want the best that Jesus has for every one of you. You know, when I, I'm at an age where I, I thought, man, by this time in my life, I'd have everything figured out. I mean, I would, I would know the Bible, I would know everything, and I would be able to handle everything. Did, did anybody else kind of feel that way when you got a little older? I mean, if you're 20, you, you can still raise your hand probably, but um, did, did anybody else ever feel that way? Yeah. And what I find out now is the more I've learned, the less I know. The more I think I understand God, the less I understand Him. And I don't give so many answers for Him anymore. And that's not bad. But I want, to, I want to learn, I want to grow, and sometimes i got to get tethered to these things. But the frustrating thing that happens sometimes in people's lives is, I had someone a couple of weeks ago that, um, I don't want to give, give it away, but they, I just, I really love, like this person. Great respect for them. But they've always kind of been in and out, up and down, and I saw them make these incredible strides in their, in their walk with Jesus. And then some things happen and they end up going kind of back. And then I, 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 there was a, some communication with them a few weeks ago. And I just said, hey, friend, listen, I just want to help you in any way I can. Because I found out this list of things that they were praying for and wanted to be prayed for. And I said, if I can help you, just give me a call when you're ready and you get back. That was three weeks ago. I haven't heard from them. Well, and you can say, well, aren't you going to call him back? I don't know. Because at some point, you don't want to, the, the Proverbs talks about, you know, when you walk by a dog, don't grab it by its ears. Otherwise, it's going to bite you. And now, you go, well, yeah, duh. But there's a spiritual principle to that. Some of you have probably experienced when you stick your nose into somebody else's business and they bite it off. And you go, hey, man, I'm just trying to help. That's the idea of it Spiritually. So I don't know if I'm going to call this person back, but they were at a very low, difficult, desperate place. And, they, and we communicated, and they said, I'll call you back when I get there, and I haven't heard. That's frustrating for me as a pastor. That's frustrating for me as a friend, because I know all of the things that this, not all, but many of the things this person is going through, and the very thing that they need is to get closer to Jesus and get discipled in him, by him, and through him. And he, 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 they have to begin to respond to the word. And that's what these people did here. It says the foundational thing is, is that they begin to be discipled and they would grow in the word. And man, when the word came, they received it gladly. 
How about you? How do you receive the word? Whether it's here, whether it's on the radio, podcast, whatever you do. Do you kind of pick and choose? Oh, yeah, I liked what PT said today. Oh, man, today, he's way off. That really bothers me when he said that. How do you do that? Do you argue with it? Or do you go and check it out in the word to say, man, I didn't like that, but I wonder if that's really what it's about. Because you'll never become a devoted disciple if you live on the basis of that. If you don't begin to learn on your own, loved ones, you're going to have a hard time becoming a devoted disciple. And what's going to happen is you'll become a religious person. And you'll begin to be kind of deferred or derailed from moving into this relationship with Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.28, Jesus is the one we proclaim, Paul says. Jesus is the one we proclaim. We admonish, we challenge, and we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present every one a fully mature person in Christ. That on that day, on that homegoing thing, here's my hope, here's my desire. First for me is that I'm going to be a fully mature person that says I gave it everything I got. And I pray then and, and want that to happen for you. When you stand before Jesus, he doesn't go, you know, don't really know you that well. You're just kind of a religion you were involved in. A little dabble, do you? Instead of really saying that, Jesus, you're the relationship that I want to grow in. Here's the goal that everyone gets presented mature in Christ. Uh, I got a friend that in his vision point, he passed these on to me. Here's, here's how we can help people follow Jesus. And here's how you can determine how your discipleship is going. That you meet in church and in a small group. Secondly, you seek God in daily prayer, Bible reading, and hopefully some notes or journaling. And I say daily, but if you, I always say if you can get three days in, that's a great start. Because if you say daily, it's like, you know, you, you start, you miss a day, then you're, oh, okay, I'm a bad person. I'll catch up tomorrow. Then you forget tomorrow. Now you're a really bad person. You'll catch up the next day. And pretty soon you're 10 days behind. So what do you say? Okay, you know what? This year I'm not going to catch up. So let's just not do it and start over next year. And so now you got 354 days <laughs> before you start. It's not about that. It's not about your perfection. It's about your direction. So are you meeting at church consistently in a connection group, are you seeking God at least three or four times a day, a week, reading your Bible and praying to him? Are you serving others in church and in community? Are you giving to God and the poor? That's why we do a harvest offering. Are you sharing your faith with your friends and your loved ones? Or are you just sending and giving an invitation or whatever? See, in my experience, when someone is doing these things, they're growing spiritually. Uh, many of us only do one or two, and then we wonder why we get stuck and, and things happen and we're not moving forward and we make bad decisions. It's probably because we're kind of picking and choosing. We're not devoted to God's word. How do you see yourself, loved ones, receiving the word gladly, devoted to spending time in it on your own, and instead of arguing with it or trying to find another way, saying, you know something, I want that. I've been a pastor now for 35 years, and the people that I see make it on a high percentage are the people that do those things. Our goal, I told you this last week, is to have 70% of our church having a quiet time at least three days a week. And let me just tell you, it's a discipline. You're not going to wake up every day and go, voila, can't wait to be with Jesus. I got the best wife in the world, and I don't feel that way about her every day, you know? <laughs> I'm glad you want to protect her, uh, but we have a great relationship, but sometimes, come on, come on, you're going to cap me. Are you kidding me? Some of you don't get up and go, am I really married to this person, you know? Was, was that you? 
oh, so that's how we're going to play this game. <laughs> I've always told her, if you want your own church, if you want to say what you want, go get your own church. But uh, no, I would, I'd follow her. But you see, um, that's, that's what we want. We want to be growing and committed as a church. And it only happens as a church with individuals saying, Jesus, I want you. Second thing is there's a, this, this devotion to fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. And it says to breaking bread and to meeting in homes. Verse 42 and 46. As I said, there's, there's people who want just a little, just enough religion to hopefully kind of, I, I think people think like this, if I get just enough religion, it'll kind of slide me into the pearly gates. Or, or you know, the, the scales of justice, ah, I was just so much better than I was bad. And we have to understand that's not how God works. God says, here's the ultimate. Did you, did you have a relationship with me? Not did you have a religion with Creekside, but did you have a relationship with me? See this word here, fellowship, it's the word koinonia. Some of you are familiar with that. It was a big word back in the 70s and 80s. It has to do with having in common. It has to do with partnership. The Brian, when Brian comes, him and I, we got some things in common here. We've got a partnership and I've got that with a lot of people here. And you have it with some people. But, but here's, here's part of what I want us to be thinking about in the season. Consider if you came to this church today, this morning, open and expecting not to simply receive, but to have in common and to be partners with the people around you. Where you encourage them. Where you welcome them where you say, thanks for coming today. It's just so good. Because we're always stronger together than we are separate. Where you welcome the newcomers. Where you welcome the old timers that just seem like newcomers because you don't see them very often. But do you make it a point to walk through those doors and say, God, give me somebody today just to encourage, to look at, catch their eye and say, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. What kind of environment would that establish for our worship? What kind of an understanding would people, when they come here, it isn't just because we're, oh, nice, hi, here's a bulletin, but we really engage them for a moment or two. How are you doing? Is this your first time here? And I know a lot of you will go, well, I don't want to do that because what if they've been here for seven years? What if they have? I do it all the time. <laughs> and I go, Sorry. I'm sorry, I always, and you know this if you've met me in the last month. Have we met before? Have we connected before? I want to know. Because it helps me then remember. And it doesn't embarrass me at all. Don't let it embarrass you. Care about the people that come through that door. Well, you know what? I just like to get my seat. I just like to chill. I don't think the New Testament church did a lot of chilling. Everything there is about having in common. They came together, they shared, and they did all of these things together. That's why these connection groups become so important, loved ones. Because they're the place where we encourage one another toward the life that God intended for us. It's at the heart of each connection group is the desire to, I want to see us all enter in to authentic community. Why should you join one? Because the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian. The God of the Bible is one in three persons. There's Father God, there's God the Son, and there's God the Spirit. And God made us, it says in Genesis 1, in his image, which means we were made for community and friendship, and when we're not living in community, we begin to suffer in life because we live in a sinful, difficult world that isn't easy. It's just not easy. 
Here's what happens to people. Insanity happens in isolation. Why do you think they put hardened criminals in isolation? Why do we choose to do that ourselves? Because we're not smart enough, loved ones, to get through life alone. It's tough. We can get sideswiped. We can get rear-ended at any time. It's critical that we become community in community. It's amazing the, the difference that others can make in our lives when we're living in community. And this was established from the beginning in Genesis 1.26 where the triune God is talking about creation and it's we, it's us. Someone wrote this about community. I love it. It says, God did not create the idea of community to fix a weakness or because we have the need First and foremost, he created human community because he exists in community and he created us in his image. He is the ultimate example of living in community. How many times do I see people get sideswiped, get rear-ended in their life? Because some of you are probably sitting here and going, I don't need oh, community, community. Well, Everything is flowing. Everything's working. I got my bride. I got my spouse. I got my husband. I got my kids. What do I need? I'll tell you what I think you need. I need men to speak into my life. My wife says a lot of great things to me. I don't always like them, but they're great. <laughs> but I need men to speak into my life. Ladies. You might have a great husband, but he's probably still, you probably need some gals to speak into your life. And even as couples, I find it very invigorating and important to have other couples speaking into our lives. Here's the excuse. Oh, I'm really fearful. You know, I'm not a Bible guy. I'm not a Bible gal. I mean, I'm afraid if I go into a small group and I don't know the answers. Well, probably nobody's going to call on you. But so because you don't know now, you're not going to press yourself to grow later. Is, is that what you're saying? You're just going to give up? You're not going to press in and learn and grow? Oh, I just don't want, to, I don't want to have the wrong answer. Come on. People come to me all the time and ask me these questions. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to make something up, but they'd go Google and find out it was wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Oh, you know what, man, PT, man, we are busy. We are really busy. <laughs> Serious? Welcome to our world. <laughs> I don't need other relationships. Okay. God doesn't say that. Remember what I said earlier about arguing with something I say? I didn't, I mean, that's God. Okay, Trinitarian, we, us, created. At some point, loved ones, we've got to give up our reasons and or our excuses. I'm learning that when my life is most out of control, it's usually tied to my schedule being out of control more than circumstances. <sighs> Oh, it was probably um, uh, maybe two months ago now as I'm thinking about the day when I transition from here sooner than sooner. And here was my thought. I got all of you wonderful people, some of you I've known for 25, 27 years. I would say you're my friends. I could say I love you. I would do a lot for you. Then I started looking at it and I said, but who, when I'm done here, who do I really think I'll stay connected to? I can't stay connected to all four or 500. Who am I going to stay connected to? And then I began to go down this list and the Lord kind of showed me, it isn't that my relationships with people are shallow here. It's just they can't, you know, yeah, people can only have so many relationships, Right. And the Lord challenged me and said, actually, I think it was more me saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to leave here with some really key, deeper relationships. 
I don't want to just be, oh, pastor's gone. Goodbye. God bless. Thank you. 27 years, get me a watch or something. I don't know. Um, I said, no, I want relationship. So I went to Trina. I said, Trina, we got to do something about this. Do you kind of hear what I'm saying, Trina? And she goes, yeah. I want some people that are going to be with us beyond just, hi, pastor, how you doing? So we made a decision that we're going to work to get a group to, that we sit down with. And we have fun with them. But there's going to be those times where you just, let's get together and let's, let's talk about how each of us are doing. Let's go around in a circle. Let's share. Where are we struggling? Or what are we celebrating of our life with God? Where do we need prayer today to now in our lives with our kids, with our grandkids? Because, see, I believe that's what the New Testament is about. It isn't about coming through a door. It isn't about doing church. It's about developing a relationship that is vertical, horizontal. And some of you really have come to the belief that you don't need it. And I don't think the Bible would agree with you. One of the reasons we emphasize groups here is because we believe it's one of the most important things we do. Why? Well, because first of all, it develops the things that I've just been talking about. It develops community. It develops security. It develops relationships, hopefully, that when you are going through it, you have somebody that you can go to. I love it. It decentralizes ministry from Creekside Church. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. He says, God has given gifts to the church, some pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles, evangelists. And he says the work that they are to do is to equip the church to be able to do the work of the ministry. You know what I love? I love when I'm at, half the time, I don't even know when people are sick. Somebody else calls me and says, hey, do you know so-and-so is in the hospital? I go, no. Oh, yeah, we're taking care of them. Just wanted you to know because I didn't know if you know. I love when people do that. And I love it when they initiate, whether it's a small group or a friend that says, don't worry about PT. We're going to go see him. We're going to not doing it. Now, I'll call them. It just happened this last week. person, oh, I didn't know they were in there. But see, loved ones, that's how the church works. See, when you're in a group, you've got a group of people that care for you and you can care for them. It really begins to take some of the selfishness. It begins to extract that out of our life. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. Oh, I don't feel good about doing that. Blah, blah, blah. No, it, it begins to move us to be more like the New Testament church. So what are we going to do about our groups? Well, here's the first thing. We need more facilitators. And let me just say this. Some of you in this room, same as first service, you should be facilitating a group by now. Pastor, you're so bold. <laughs> well, sometimes we have to be. Because when, when Jesus calls us, it's not about our preferences. It's about his calling. And I believe some of you need to step up and facilitate because we need so many groups. You say, well, why don't you promote them more? Because I don't have the facilitators. I don't want to facilitate. I don't want to promote it. And then all of a sudden, we have 110 people sign up and we only have two facilitators more, you know. But I'm just committed, loved ones, to the next season. We want to become a New Testament church in this area. Here's the kind of community groups I'm talking about. Because hear me, I understand everybody's busy. Most everybody's busy. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that. I'm busy. You're busy. We're busy. So what we're talking about, we want to have Bible studies. We want to have affinity groups where people can walk together, golf together, crochet together, fill in the blank together. We want to have people that, that do ministry together, that feed the homeless, help seniors. We're going to talk about all of these things next week. But where people have something in common where life gets shared. And some of these groups, maybe they only meet a month. Maybe they only meet every other week because you're so busy. We can live with that. But be in a group of people where you're connecting, where you're giving, where you're receiving. We're going to be setting up more community prayer times here. Here's my goal. 
of Creekside will always, 65 to 70% will always be in a small group. Are you in one? Well, it's kind of late now, but we're going to be starting them up again in the first of the year. And I believe the Lord's speaking to some of you today. Had people come up to me after first service. Ah, shouldn't have done that, man. God spoke to me. I said, good. There you go. I'm going to, I'm going to close with this last one. I'm over time now. It says they were filled with awe and worship. You know what that is? You've heard me say it, but it's just, it's, it's, it's understanding the worth. Worship is a Latin word that has to do with giving worth and worship. I see you and us together experiencing Jesus. I think one of the primary purposes, loved ones, of our meeting together is to encounter Jesus and to build our relationship with him because Jesus is here. And in some way, every Sunday, I say, I hope you meet him. I hope you meet him for the first time or I hope you sense him again that he is present tense all the time for your life. And that you begin to see where he's changing your life and he's changing your family and you encounter him and you begin to see that he's changing your world, your relational orbit around you. Maybe you encounter Jesus during the worship or maybe during the prayer time or during the talk or hopefully when you are meeting with people out here. It's kind of depressing as a pastor, but I've had people come up to me, and it's really not depressing, but they come up and they go, you know, I didn't get a lot out of you today, but man, I met with, with, with Sally, and she just she said something that was a prophetic word that broke through everything. And I go, yes. When the Holy Spirit's on our life, loved ones, we can speak prophetically to people. Imagine if we all came expecting to meet Jesus every Sunday. Do you think that might change the tenor, the environment of our room? I think so. I think a new person coming in here would have a hard time walking out, not being touched by something. Because when you have passionate people about the greatest person, the most important person, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, you know what? It's going to stop and make you go, hmm, there's got to be something to this. I want our church to be that way. That's my vision for our church so when people come here. I was watching night before last an interview. Uh, one of my favorite shows is Dan Rather doing these interviews. I never liked him as a newscaster. I love him as an interviewer. But he was interviewing Alice Cooper. Yeah, I said, I love that. <laughs> Alice Cooper, you're kidding me. Here's the deal. Probably, I don't know how many of you know the backdrop on his story, the, the, the narrative. He grew up in a pastor's home. His dad was a Baptist preacher. And people go, oh my gosh, how did he come out of there? How did his dad do? Oh boy. You know what he says? He says, you know something? My dad was not a religious person. As a matter of fact, he's the one that introduced me to rock and roll. That's back in the day where probably no preachers were involved in rock and roll because uh, Alice Cooper, I think he said he's 73 now. But he's telling his story, how he got into music and the reasons why he went the way that he did because he wanted to be the villain instead of the golden boy that all the other bands were. And he did this, it was, just, it was, a, it was a made up character. It wasn't demonic, it wasn't all of that, it was just theater. It's like Halloween once a year, you know? And he's telling his story and he says, you know, the bad thing is, is I ended up getting married that's not bad. Uh, he got married, and, and, and then he's going through, and he ends up becoming addicted to cocaine and to um, alcohol. So he goes through rehab, and his wife sticks with him. And, and he said, here's how it happened. I went through rehab. I got to get back to church. So one Sunday, he goes to church because he grew up in a church. He goes to church, he recommits his life to Jesus, and he said, boom, no more addiction. I got up the next day, I was expecting to have all of these, you know, oh, I gotta have a Coke, I gotta snort some Coke, I gotta have a beer, it's noon. And he said, it didn't happen. And then the next day, I'm waiting for it again, and it didn't happen. And he said, from that time on, when I went to that church and made that decision, guess what? I've not had a drop of alcohol or... Uh, I haven't even had a desire for it. 
He said, but I got to tell you, I do have another addiction. Dan Rather goes, what is it? He goes, it's golf. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, see, there is something good about golf. He says, you know, um, I just, it's just taken all my desire and all my appetite away for this. He goes, but you know something? Here's the deal. And he gives this testimony that, you know something? I made this commitment to Jesus Christ. And Alice Cooper is just a, a made-up person. But the real me loves Jesus. And he, he just goes on and, and he's talking about his relationship with Christ. Really a beautiful thing. Here, now listen, hear me. I know that not everybody goes to church one time and gets freed from alcohol or addiction or their marriage goes from a zero to a hero type thing. But I want to tell you what I really believe. I believe that when people are devoted to the word, when people are devoted to Jesus, when people are devoted to worship, when people are just devoted to the things of God, and they're not trying to establish a religious checklist, but they are daily, weekly entering in to the greatest relationship on earth, I believe those things can happen. And I want to be a church that begins to live and to believe and see those things happen in people's lives because that's the God that I love and I serve. And that's the one I want to make sure that every Sunday, regardless of what's going on in our lives, Lord, here I am once again. Everything around me is changing, but you're not. I give you worth. 